I'd tell you the details, but it sounded like I made them up. Your problem is you spent your whole life thinking there are rules. There aren't. Believing as I do, like the good Dr. King said, a man should be judged on the content of his character, not the color of his skin. Yeah, he's dead. You're gonna need a different quote. I just charged for parking. Well, you think they're gonna ask questions when they come with their pitchforks and their torches? It's just a flight, Sasser. We gotta go. You had a piece of pie like that since the Garden of Eden. Simply deliver a message when the time comes. A message? To who? To the wicked. We're very friendly people. No. That's not it. Pretty unfriendly, actually. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first official episode of Very Friendly People, a Fargo character analysis podcast. I am your humble host, Thomas Potts, and as always, I am joined by... Jack Breeden. Right. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing pretty good to join our first official episode. Um, definitely the first time we're recording this Absolutely. particular episode. This no technical difficulties round. whatsoever have Not, occurred. Yes, our podcast isn't cursed or being monitored by the government. Um, we did criticise them in the introduction with the mention of cyber, and we went to the... I mean, we didn't go to the recording to find out that the whole thing sounded like a robot um, having a meltdown. That's true, yeah. But on the plus side, it means that we are actually able to release our first official episode on the same day that Fargo is coming back to Channel 4. So Exciting I suppose times. it's quite, quite serendipitous in that it way. It is. Respect. The stars have aligned for us, I think, um, exactly. in, in the face of, of our blight. Um, <laughs> we have a saving grace. Yes, as always. It's wonderful. Yes, and how are you doing? I am doing pretty good. I'm very excited to um, break into our first character. Uh, mm. Today, we're going to be looking at um, failed insurance salesman turned murderer turned successful insurance salesman, Lester Nygaard. And successful murderer. Uh, successful, well, for a while, at least. Well, yes. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Was successful and then definitely very much was not. Hmm. So uh, I think it's fair to say that Lester is the main character of season one, would you say? Yeah, I was having a little think about that before the re recording. Um, definitely he's the main, fo well, yeah, main focus of the season. He, he kicks off the whole mystery and story. Um, definitely starts out protagonist, and I was wondering, does he switch to antagonist? Does he switch to to the villain, or, or can can a character be both? I was wondering what, what your opinions on that. Whether you could be the antagonist and protagonist at the same time. I would say, yeah. I think that mm. in in the the realms of Fargo and the archetypes which are set up in the Fargo verse, you have your blacker than black villain characters mm -hmm. who are almost you know demons in the shape of humans, and then you have the real salt of the earth, um, usually uh, policemen characters who are just 
just shining examples of um, heroism. And then you have the, the moral gray area. You have the people in the middle who just kind of react. Uh, I was actually watching an interview with Martin Freeman, who uh, plays the role of Lester, and he says that Lester is an incredibly reactive character. He just kind of bounces off all this kind of stimulus that he receives. And a lot of that stimulus is uh, very negative, unfortunately, mm. which uh, speaks a lot about why this character has such a mounting level of um, aggression and animosity towards others. Yeah, I, I like to think of it as um, magpieing. Uh, he, he, he finds little shiny nuggets within all these people that he kind of runs across um, and, he, and he picks these out and, and adds them to his nest and kind of builds himself up to be this uh, ideal, quote, you know, quote unquote, ideal salesman, husband, and, and man, I think. Um, he, he takes traits from Malvo, he takes traits from his brother, he takes traits from Sam Hess, all these people who are quite a, well, definitely a negative force, as you said, um, mm. generally, but also directly to him as a, as a person. And I think he, he kind of, in one way or another, has a, a victory over these people and uh, uh, as his reward takes pieces of them and, and grows as a as a person. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you said um, as a man as well, because I think a lot of season one is to do with the idea of kind of a fragile and um, toxic oh, yeah. idea of masculinity. Oh, yeah. I, I was doing a bit of research before this about, about archetypes in general, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I, I won't get into because you could record a podcast for for years about that um you know there's whole lists of like this person's got the 12 archetypes the eight archetypes um and the one that i clicked on was the 301 archetypes and i thought i can't read all of this before the <laughs> podcast but one of them was and uh, you know this is not coming from someone who is a, a particular um well i, I do have, have some understanding but not a particular um like an inclination towards yeah a, 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 yeah not an official position on such things i suppose right, okay on, you're, you're on, not like on, an expert yeah not an expert per se i've i've done done the re done a little bit of, of of light reading um and a lot of these archetypes you know feeds into the ego um and, and one of them in particular was the innocent um i don't know which list this was in this was in the list of 301 which compiled all these different archetypes from all types of fiction um, and the innocent, um, coincidentally enough, was talking about being reactionary, um, and and about being driven mainly by the the ego, not not in the sense of having an ego. Although of course we find out Lester eventually um, grows one and kind of spills mm. over, bubbles over out of control. Um, but the innocent um, is driven by a need for security. And also, in, in some places, they talk about the innocent in, in the need for structure. And that's something mm. that I think is key to, to Lester. He starts out as a, you know, he has an, a reasonably structured and ideal life. You know, he has a house and a loving, quote-unquote, wife. Uh, he has a, a steady job. He has co-workers. He has family that he sees. Um, and all of that is, is broken down and gotten rid of or destroyed. And much like gaining muscle at the gym, you you do damage, you you break down your, your your muscle and your fat, and over the course of time, that's built up to be stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. Um, 
And it's interesting. I thought, oh, yeah, but, but he's not particularly an innocent. You know, he's, mm. he's guilty of a hell of a lot of stuff throughout the show, through, through multiple murders and cover-ups and, and blackmailings and, you know, the, uh, stuff of that sort. Um, uh, I was going to say that you, you find that a lot with these sort of like morally grey characters throughout the show is that there, there's this um, recurring line of I'm the victim here. Mm. And it's this idea that that somehow kind of absolves them of all, any bad things that they end up doing because they're just reacting to the way that the world is towards yeah. them. And so when, you know, Lester ends up, um, you know, he, he, he bludgeons his wife to death. But he sees it as just him kind of, you know, t taking control of his life. Because even though he, he does feel, he might feel secure in the life that he had, but he's clearly not happy. Oh, no. It's miserable. It's a miserable and, and toxic environment from family to his wife to his workplace to outside of work. Um, mm. he's, he's downtrodden and, and the world, from his perspective, is kind of conspiring against him, I think. All of a sudden, one day, he ends up in the same hospital room as Lorne Malvo. Indeed. And everything changes. Yes, and we all know what happens there with those two. Uh, chaos yes. ensues. Um, in fact, this was actually the first um, image that um, writer Noah Hawley had for his mm. idea for the season. He says he always starts with a single image for each season of Fargo. And he said with this one, he had the idea of um, a civilised man and an uncivilised man waiting in a hospital room together. And just sort of thinking, well, what would they talk about? How would they react to one another? Which leads on to a very interesting question. When um, Malvo offers to kill uh, Sam Hess, the, the bully who's been picking on Lester his whole life, and um, again, there's the, the later on, you know, Malvo's going to say, when Lester says, I didn't say yes, and Malvo says, we well, didn't say no. no. Mm. How intentional do you think that Lester is in that initial meeting? Well, I think um, I'm going off a mid tangent, a uh, tangent here. Um, TV at that time, the kind of early 2000s and the 90s, a lot of uh, TV shows at the time had this anti-hero main character. Um, mm. You know, your your Walter Whites, your Tony Sopranos. Tony Sopranos. Um, and it's interesting about about being the innocent and about intention. Um, and being the victim so much, or, or, or perceiving yourself as a victim, I think in Lester's case, is a, is a victim. Um, mm. And then developing into the victimizer. Um, a, a, an interesting sort of archetype during that time of sympathetic people who do abhorrent things one episode, and then the next episode you sympathize fully with them. Obviously you can't sympathize with bludgeoning your wife to death. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying that I do, and I'm not saying anyone else who watches the show should. But mm. you do understand it. You do know why he's done it. And before that, you sympathise with him fully, with him and mm. the bullying from his wife and Sam Hess. And I don't um, think she exchanges a single like kind word to him, or if she does, it's veiled in like this very Minnesotan passive aggressive. Of, you know, if you were a better salesman, I would have bought you a nicer tie. Like, you're just like, ooh. Yeah, this, this strange duality of, of such scathing and, and cutting remarks, but seemingly so positive, so happy, so chipper, so casual that you could just say it in the kitchen with, with, his, with his extended family there. Mm. Um, and even his Including brother, his brother. Of yeah, yes, yeah. Jazz. 
Yes, interesting uh, point that he brings up um, about about the character just in the show, um, saying that there's been something missing in him, isn't there? Something lacking within Lester since you know they were kids. Within other shows, Tony Soprano talks about his childhood. He talks about his life, and throughout all those six six ish seven technically seasons of the Sopranos. Um, you see him always reflecting on his past and then him going down a darker and darker road with Walter White. Of course, that's his whole journey of he starts off as this well-mannered chemistry teacher who, who has cancer. Again, very sympathetic and then grows into this abhorrent, monstrous darkness who, who festers and infects all these other characters' lives. Um, and it's just an interesting thing having these people start off as victims and having you understand these people because I think obviously Lorne Malvo and characters like that are horrifying and scary but I would argue that Lester is scarier because mm. Lester is more sort of of a concrete person whereas yeah. Malvo is yeah. uh, this this force of nature really he is a, a literally a force of evil that infects Lester and you know pulls him around to this way of this dog eat dog way of seeing the world of like you can either swim like a fish or you can eat like a shark yeah and it brings up the, the question um obviously you can't sympathize with Lorne Malvo you you would we enjoy watching him because he's such a good character such a good actor such good writing an enjoyable delicious evilness that you sit back and go god kind of cool and suave yes. nihilist yeah, yeah you, you you thank god that he isn't in your life um but you enjoy watching him as a piece of fiction but with someone like lester or soprano or walter white or any other kind of anti-hero or almost shakespearean a greek tragedy you, you start off with a sympathetic person it's scary really effectively. yeah yeah it, it, it it's scary because you think god i know people like that or, or you, you look at parts of him and go, I felt exactly like he's felt. Or I look at this person and I see a reflection of myself or a relative or a friend or how I used to be or how I'm, I'm going to be. And they do, you know, they commit murder. They do these abhorrent acts. But underneath the psychology of these people, you sympathize, you empathize, you understand. And you're left with that feeling of kind of going, well that am i so different could i be corrupted in similar circumstances you're left mm. walking away going well thank god the bad guy's gone you're left with a, with a thought of going god who's next could that be me in in another mm. life could that be me tomorrow could something happen that i twist and turn um and also raises the question of what is the nature of evil i think is it something born with was Lester born with this void, this hole? And is that void in all of us? Is that void and hole evil? Is Lorne uh, the devil incarnate, born as such, and that is his destiny? Uh, and could Lester be saved? Um, and they're not really... In a show like this, um, you know, these are quite grand, possibly nihilistic questions that the characters, you know, ponder and certain themes, they kind of... Uh, blossom little ideas or, or, or answers from particular points of view, but the show doesn't go out of way of having a complete philosophy on such things. Um, mm. 
which is interesting um and i think fairly yeah. unique for a tv show um it is and i think very reflective of of life nothing has a concrete answer it's just what you make of it i suppose I mean, it's it's again, it's weird for me, like coming at this from you know somebody who identifies as a Christian, mm. and this is something I've talked to my brother about, who's also a Christian. We've seen that like there are there are elements of the gospel within Fargo, but one thing that tends to not be brought up is the idea of redemption and forgiveness, because because you know I have to believe that you know everybody has a chance to reform, mm. but obviously no, not everybody's going to take that chance. I think that Lester could easily have like went backwards, but or, or rather almost. repented. Yeah, but it's yeah. clear that he just has no intention of going back. And when you see him become more confident, and you see he's like, it's weirdly he almost seems to look younger um, at the the following yes, year. Yes, that's exactly what I thought as well. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, with his gelled, slicked up hair and his new suit and his new wife. Mm. Um, it is like he's been reborn, almost. Yeah, his entire worldview has completely been deconstructed and reassembled, and now everybody is a means to an end for him, whereas before he was, you know, he's described in the original script as the kind of man who apologises when you stand on his foot. Yeah. And now he's the one who is just, Who's you know... Who's standing on people's toes to get what he wants. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, breaking down his, his whole uh, essence, his whole life. To then build it up stronger again, um, in the image of of Lord Malvo and Hess and all these other people, the people who he kind of idolizes in a in a, a twisted way. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think he see obviously. Um, there's a soundtrack. Uh, there's a song in the soundtrack to the first season that is called uh, "Lester as Malvo," um, and I think anyone watching the show could easily pick on. Uh, pick, pick up uh, the the sort of subtle clues that he himself has become a new man, like like Malvo, and so when he sees him again, he very uncharacteristically uh, to the old Lester, anyway, um, sort of bullies him into admitting who he is when he's pretending to be the dentist. He's going, "I'm new. I'm you now. I'm the new and improved. Why don't you? Why don't you prove to me who you are, or what you're capable of?" Um, Love the bit where he like disaster. shows. I love the bit where he shows his award to Malvo and he's like, hey, look what I want, Insurance Man of the Year. And there's this kind of, like, Daddy, are you proud of me kind of yes. thing. It, like, yes, It's sort exactly of like, you know, that. hey, you, you were you were the, the master, but now, hey, look what I've done all by myself. Mm, it's, it's the, again, it's the ego, the innocent ego, that childlike kind of always trying to prove to people. I think what's missing in him evidently for what his own family's like, is been reassurance and approval. He always does something, he always messes something up and everyone always judges him or chastises him or says, oh, it's all your fault, you're doing this incorrectly, why don't you be a better salesman, better husband, a better brother, a better man? Mm -hmm. um, going back to his brother as well, mm -hmm. I mean, like, the bit where he says, you know, sometimes I tell people you're dead. Yeah, God, And he God. says, you know, People, you know, all my my co-workers, they look up to their brothers. And it's clear that there's this, you know, animosity between these brothers, which seems to be a recurring theme throughout every single season, the idea of kind of feuding brothers. Absolutely. Again, another sort of biblical um, influence 
within Kane the show. And Abel, oh. uh, yep. Esau and Jacob. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and like, uh, obviously like the Bible, there's this unspeakable evil seeking to to corrupt, uh, uh, to, to uh, tempt man into sin by uh, taking the bite of the apple from the Garden of Eden and all that with Malvo. Mm. Um, and so the question I wanted to ask you is, yes, with Lester, the way he ended up, would you say? Obviously, you, you, you've you've said that um, uh, you you believe in everyone having a second chance and redemption and all that, and and that's something I believe. Even as a, as an atheist, I, I I believe that everyone deserves a, a chance to to change and better themselves. Um, but do you think that Lester would have ended up like this without all his outside influence? Do you think that maybe he is his own worst enemy? Um, and perhaps just something to do with his, his core, the way he, he grew up as a child, the way that his, his family interacted with him. Do you think that without Malvo, he would still end up perhaps less evil, but still a, a corrupted man? In some ways, I think there's an mm. argument to be made of the idea of, um, and, and this goes for um, some of uh, quite a few of the characters throughout the show, is that there's some ambiguity as to how real these characters are. Yes. It, I remember thinking about the idea of Malvo being this force that infects people, and it reminded me of in um, Twin Peaks, there's the character of Killer Bob, yes. who's simply referred to as, Bob is the evil that men do. So in many ways, you could make an argument that like that, that Malvo is just a voice inside Lester's head to a certain degree. Mm. That, it, that it, it is literally just all the mounting pressures and like you say, all these kind of ideas about masculinity that he has absorbed like a sponge that just one, one dreadful night when the, the washing machine breaks, he mm. just snaps. And that's an that's a wonderful motif as well. Him and his washing machine, um, mm. which is it's his his marriage. His washing machine is his marriage, and you can oh, see yeah. from the very beginning it is grinding away, and it's slowly just kind of. And he's know, frustrated with it. Yes, he's frustrated with it, and I'm pretty sure he hits it as well when when it's all grumbling away down. He's he's just so frustrated. He's he's resorting to violence. Um, Obviously, and he describes different degree. He describes the sound um, that it makes as being angry, which mm. I think kind of um, relates to sort of like underneath this very sweet table talk, there is all this brimming resentment that's also between him and his wife. Absolutely, of course. And then, of course, he, he trades it in for a new model, so to speak. Mm -hmm. With that nice. beautiful little uh, soundtrack piece, it's which is my called favorite. It's my favorite piece of the soundtrack of this whole show, possibly of any show. Oh, that wonderful little ukulele, and it's a very Coen brother uh, moment of him just staring, almost religiously, kind of worshipping it, just watching it, uh, washing and spiraling and circling around. And there's also the idea of like, ooh, I'm clean now. I was stained yes. by my sin, but now I've I've been, you know, cleansed in the the loving arms of my washing machine. You know, it's very <laughs> it's very American satire, isn't it, of consumerism and commercialization. Oh god, yeah, absolutely. Um and I think we need to talk about with Lester, um with 
uh, talks about archetypes that we we discussed previously, and these people not being people, but more being characters and having sort of messages being part of a, a, a fable, almost a biblical story of good versus evil, and all these different types of characters and how they all uh, weave into each other. Um, of course, there is a prototype Lester uh, within. Yes. Uh, Jerry Lundergaard, uh, yeah, yes, who's the, the 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 prototype from uh, uh, the Fargo movie. Hmm. Um, he shares a hell of a lot of similarities. Obviously, salesman, bumbling, downtrodden, um, similar last name, both ending in guard, of course. Um, <laughs> both end up in different ways, causing the death of their wives. Both seeking out criminal intent. Seemingly for a good reason. Uh, well, not a good reason, but... Uh... Well, it's interesting because I feel that in the movie version, um, yeah. which, uh, again, season one is almost a kind of remake of the movie, but with quite a few like aesthetic changes and obviously set in a more modern time frame. Yeah. Uh, but J Jerry almost kind of starts out with less good intentions than Lester does. But Lester tends to be the one who probably goes further down the dark side than Jerry ever does. Yes, definitely. He's Jerry, definitely Jerry more is more extreme. of the evil. Yeah, Jerry is more of the evil of sort of just passivity, of just letting things happen. Whereas more, Lester is far more proactive. Yeah, and I think with Jerry, it's more out of desperation, uh, a need for for money. Again, that that sort of talking about consumerism being a you know a, a literal uh, uh a used car salesman you know that kind of character type um and he's literally is that he uh plots to have his wife fake kidnapped but also real kidnapped and to extort money out of her father um and so that's more overtly sort of capitalistic uh sort of pursuit of of money um, where I think Lester is more of the internal capitalist, definitely the most extreme, uh, resorting to violence and uh, instead of desperation, it's a resentment underneath that you see in a lot of characters of, of that, that kind of neurotic, sociopathic, ego-driven businessman, um, you know, who, who kind of builds himself up to have this persona, this life, the fast car, to prove to the world and to themselves that they're better than what they actually are underneath, maybe. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And of course, we need to discuss the actor. Martin Freeman, yes. What a wonderful, wonderful performance in this show. Um, mm. Definitely my favourite of his entire career. A, a, a difference. He's playing against his own type, I think, for when you look back at um, The Office and all the, the comedy stuff he's done from Love Actually uh, and Bilbo in, in, in The Hobbit. He's kind of the the well-meaning and, you know, they, they face some, some troubles, some adversities to overcome, some temptations, but overall they're good-hearted people and they, they come out on top. Um, I think... I think it's interesting, like looking at Martin Freeman's acting style, because he does have a very distinctive twitchiness and kind of a stammering yes. nature to him, which works well when he plays these very sort of meek, nice guys. 
And I feel that it, it's being utilized in a different way to sort of show the more sort of deceptive and more kind of, um, again, not like more sort of just weaselly and like slightly yes. less likable uh, character as well. With uh, but but again, like at the beginning, you feel as if it is like a Tim kind of character, just a very sympathetic and guy just trying to get through life but then as it goes on that twitchiness and stammering it takes on a more sort of um uh, sinister um quality yeah he, he kind of the the constant twitchiness i think um develops and grows into more spaced out um larger actions of force instead of twitchiness he now makes um one big blow to his wife of course and then he kind of goes back to the twitchiness and over the course he makes big decisions big choices big ideas uh, and gets away with it um mm. and kind of develops a more calm exterior um yes but the bit in the one of the interrogation scenes um when because uh, obviously he's uh got a bit of shrapnel in his hand from the gun blast that malvo used to kill the yeah. sheriff and um, you, you notice that when he gets asked rather uncomfortable questions, you, there's a shot from underneath the table and you see that he's kind of itching at the, the scab. But then mm. you come back over the table and he's perfectly composed. And, yeah. But he keeps just kind of like scratching at it like furiously, but while still looking very calm uh, at the, uh, from the top of the table. It's kind of a, a Lady Macbeth uh, moment, you know, the, the, the washing from the blood blood off her hands but seemingly can't wash away that sin um in that private moment but outwardly is you know proclaiming their innocence um i mean that's one uh wound that is very sort of um focused on in the show it's not exactly talked about but you can tell that it's focused on but one um other wound which isn't brought up quite as much but i all think is really also a thing is really interesting to look into is his nose obviously nose gets broken in his um encounter with sam hess and then obviously the very next scene is the bit where he meets malvo so you could see almost that that is the you know that that broken nose is the straw that breaks the camel's back um and um then when he uh gets the more successful life and his face is fine but then in the final battle with malvo uh, he, it, it's very interesting he gets a bloody nose once more as if to say you might have got a new suit and a new haircut but nothing's changed you're still the same man underneath it all it's still a, a dog eat dog world just because you've you've one-upped the previous predator it doesn't mean that you're not next on the chopping block mm -hmm. just because you killed jesse james doesn't make you jesse james mm, indeed exactly <laughs> And kind of discussion on, on, on his appearance as well. Um obviously his 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 adorable <laughs> iconic big big orange uh jacket. <laughs> like a little puffer jacket that you see kids it, wear. Exactly, exactly like that. Um I was reading in the in the book. I'll just grab it here. Oh god, it is a big oh, book. Not, Jesus Christ. Uh the big fire. Not even book. in the same house and I felt that. <laughs> you felt the shockwave of you turning yep. the page. Uh, there's a, a, a passage in it from Carol Case, who's the series costume designer. It says here for the first three seasons, but I would assume for the fourth as well. 
Um, but of course, this book was written before the full season was out. Um, and they kind of bring up the fact, well, Noah Hawley, in fact, brings up the fact that uh, it was important to him that there was a Charlie Brown factor to Lester, and the orange mm-hmm. coat was that factor for him. Uh, yes. And of course, for people who don't know Charlie Brown, I mean, everyone knows who Charlie Brown is. I, I assume the, the, again, the, the kind of ego-driven, innocent character looking for security and, and everything in his life is kind of kicked up um, in a big whirlwind and he's, and he's desperately trying to understand what's going on in life. And he's, he's this downtrodden little cartoon character. Um, that's what I, I, I see Lester as. He is, he is not, cart- I don't mean cartoonish as an insult, obviously. He's not an outlandish persona per se. Um, but there is something cartoony about his design, both costume wise and character wise, I, I feel. I agree. Um, I'm not quite sure why I feel like that, though. I think maybe. Maybe because when you're designing cartoons, you want something recognisable. Obviously, if you're designing someone to look evil, you want them to look, you know, if you look to old Disney movies, all the villains look absolutely horrifying and grotesque and evil and that kind of such. And you want the the cutesy characters to look cute with the big eyes and the the, the fluffiness and the the big ears and all that. Um, And it's interesting... um, and again, I suppose with, with Disney's progression, they had the secret villain reveal and it picks are of the seemingly nice guy who turns out to be not quite as good as he uh, outwardly appears to be. Hmm, very true. Uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that Lester definitely falls into that category. Mm. But it's interesting as well that because we, we, you know, he's also the character that we follow. So, uh, you know, his villainy is almost as much a surprise to himself as it is to us. Yeah, yeah, comparatively to, to Malvo, who definitely is, is planning his his next move and is definitely taking every opportunity he can to, to stir shit up. Um like like we were discussing earlier, uh, Lester is just reactionary. He just goes mm. with his gut, he just goes with, oh god, what's how do I get out of this? Um And it's that kind of need for survival, I think. Um We'll go into this later, but there's a lot of animalistic nature within this show and with all the characters, mm-hmm. which we'll kind of discuss at the, at the end of this episode. Um, well, uh, beforehand, though, Jack, uh, I've got a question yes. for you. Ooh, what, yes. is, what is the point for you where you lost sympathy with Lester? When did Charlie Brown become Charlie Manson? It- <laughs> As it were. <laughs> um, interesting. Interesting. I've been rewatching. I'm. I'm gonna. I keep talking about Sopranos. I do apologize. We will talk about fucking Fargo once <laughs> in this show. <laughs> but I have been rewatching it. Um, I'm not so well of spoilers uh, for people who haven't listened to that show. Uh, who haven't watched that show because it is an absolute masterclass. It's on par with with Fargo. Is some of the greatest television out there. Um, and you flick through one episode, and all these characters have these really deep moments. Um, and David Chase, who's the showrunner of that show, e- even you know the most detestable gangster characters will have little moments of 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 heartbreak um, and real psychological issues. There's one episode I watched recently in which Tony Soprano wakes up uh, in the middle of the night crying and weeping, saying he should just kill himself and he's never felt so depressed, and it's all a big nothing, um, 
which is a line that's um, uttered by his own mother frequently throughout the show. Um, and then a few episodes later, um, he does something like he, he murders someone or he, he cheats on his wife or he conspires to kill, you know, people who are, who are close to him within the show. Um, obviously, I don't want to go to details because that's spoilers, but um, he really does some reprehensible things that, and it's such a weird juggling act um, between these characters because David Chase wanted to go, yep, I wanted to keep reminding people that having sympathy for these characters is what, is almost what they want. And that's a, a thing brought up in that show. And it's a thing brought up in this show is the victim or the victimizer playing the victim. Um, mm. They, at some point, definitely were a victim. And you go, yep, I, I feel for them. They're definitely wronged there and they deserve some justice or they deserve a happy life. Um, and I think the point in The Sopranos, there's so many that happen. And then the next episode, you feel straight back to having sympathy again. And in this show, it's again difficult um, because even at his last moment, I feel I almost I I think I did cry the first time I watched um, Lester Fall Through the Ice. Ooh, and I don't know if I could pinpoint a moment. I think definitely the murder of his second wife definitely yeah. is probably the most reprehensible act he, he does throughout the whole show. Um, so mm. if it did have to, it would go to my head. That's the moment I'd pick. But Same. it's the it's again that weird issue, that weird di that dialogue that we're we're having that, uh, but we're having in the show, and I think people do in life is, can there be redemption after it all? Is there something that someone does that means right? That is the end point. There is no return after that. And I would say, I would say that that scene is that for me the the pivotal moment because. Um, on a purely like physical level, it is Lester saying, I do not want to take responsibility for my actions. I don't want to face the music. I know that I deserve this, but I am going to let an innocent stand in the way and get the death that I clearly have deserved through doing this. Uh, but on a, a metaphorical level, the fact that he gives uh, Linda his coat, his Charlie Brown uh, coat, and and she gets shot wearing that. It is very much him, like this new um, evil Lester, putting to death the old Lester. Yes, yeah. It's it's a passing of the torches of mm. the innocent victim. He's shedding his last skin, as it were, um, and giving. And it is her... his scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's literally led the lamb to the slaughter. Hmm. Yeah, but like, the, I mean, the, the line just before where he's like, put your hood up. I wouldn't want to see your pretty face to freeze. I mean, it's just, oh, oh it sends a shiver down your spine. It really, and it really does. And it, I, that, yeah, that moment, in, that line in particular, you're right. I'd, I'd almost forgotten about that. That that wasn't mm. just detestable. I, I remember literally going, oh, God, how you, you scumbag how <laughs> dare you but still at the last moment at the last moment of his life i still cried mm. and i don't know what that says about about me i don't know if you had a similar what your reaction was to his end yeah i know i i think and 
I don't think I had that visceral and emotional reaction, but I think looking back and when you see the bigger picture and you just, you do feel sorry for the guy because yeah. as like, I think, you know, you need to have sympathy with a lot of people who do bad things because a lot of the time it is a result of, you know, a lot of bad stuff in their life or even just Bring like the or influence nature versus exactly. nurture. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the the strongest like thing that you can do really is just just pity them. Really, yes. I think, I think that's the way you have to be a very friendly person, but not in a not in a you know surface level way in which you know Lester's wife might have done it or a few of the other characters might have done it. But that's to be a genuine sort of recognition of like, no, this is a person, and this person has may have made a few missteps, but who hasn't and so seeing when when you do see Lester literally running on thin ice as he has been throughout the entire show, mm. and that moment where he that that almost wily coyote moment, yes, where yes, he looks again, down and sees moment. the yeah. sees the ice cracking and then looks up as if to just be like, well, good grief, yeah, give me a break, this again, yeah. and then straight through the ice, yeah. His little hat just poking out at the top. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, again. He's a cartoon character in the best way possible. He mm. he's the embodiment of an archetype of of um, almost slapstick comedy. I mean, there, there probably actually there probably is some literal slapstick comedy. You know, his nose breaking and yeah, the fact that like Sam doesn't even hit him, he just runs, runs into, into the, the window. Glass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. And people say that all comedy is based off of, um, uh, oh god, what's the word? Element of tragedy. Yes, yeah. And I suppose in spades, like, yeah. like, yeah, how he how he could laugh at those moments and still weep. You could laugh at his life and weep at his life. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could practically. Yeah, I think Lester practically hears the canned laughter in his head every time he slips on the ice or whatever. Oh god, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And and like that that duality, he has that. He has done good things and he has done bad things. And uh, you know, no one's born evil, of course. No one is is mm. destined to be a monster. Although you could argue, perhaps Malvo, if he is the devil. Uh, um, of course, we we don't really know Malvo's backstory, but exactly, Lester, we we get a very clear idea of the kind of life this guy's had. Even from school, we hear um, from from multiple characters about what he was like as a kid. Fainting at the sight of blood, and then you see later on when he's in the elevator with Malvo, and he just ices those guys. And I think I think he just slightly flinches when he gets some blood in his eye, but he doesn't look away. No, you just see how much this guy has changed and become so cold and hardened. It's an it's an astonishing transformation to watch. And again, as I always say, like because you know Breaking Bad, you know obviously you know so many people have gone on about the show, but. Fargo manages to achieve in one season what Breaking Bad took about, like, I don't know, 18 seasons to do. I can't even remember how long it is now. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of seasons. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, without, without it feeling rushed either. Exactly. There's yes. only 10 episodes. Um, and, he, and he's in ev all, all 10 episodes, of course, being, being the main character. Um, but it does feel like a weirdly natural progression. There's no leaps of logic within this show there's there's nothing that makes you go oh that's a bit um i was always going to say oh that's a bit cartoony villain um why, <laughs> even though i've just described him as <laughs> as such um but 
I, th- I think people in real life are, are cartoons. I'm constantly seeing people in life who, by the clothes they wear or by the things that they do, by the mannerisms or by the lives they lead, I'm like, surely someone's written this. This, this can't just be how life is. All these weird coincidences and turns of events and twists and turns within life. Um, all the world's a stage. All the world is a stage, exactly. Um, uh, and we discussed about him being an archetype, but the point of archetypes, of, of characters, you know, what are characters? Um, sure, they're, they're right. fictional, but of course, if they were so far into fiction, into be something completely abstract, no one would be able to recognise it. But we do recognise it. We recognise Lester. We have to acknowledge that there is the potential, like Lester, to go from the, you know, the, the lovable schmuck to the predatory villain. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have that question of uh, he's fooled himself, uh, either consciously or subconsciously, in believing that he is this, this um, uh, victim, this main character. And that he can do no wrong, or if he does do wrong, it's all for the greater purpose of of surviving. And you kind of go, well, what, I wonder what I've done. I wonder what I could do. I think I think one reason I respect this show is that I, I think that with something like a Breaking Bad, that there is a, a tendency to lionize the antihero. And oh yes, so, and and you know make it seem like oh. You know, you you see these like compilation clips of like oh badass Heisenberg moments and yeah yeah. Let's look think... at look at the Joker and how he's cool and edgy and yeah. you're right. We do live in a society. It's like yes, I I, I guess. <laughs> Whereas with Lester, I, like I appreciate the fact that I don't think he ever he ever quite goes over to being cool, but he's trying. He's so <laughs> trying, exactly. Yeah. My fav- I think my favorite moment of like just like the, the closest that Lester Nygaard goes to badass is mm. the bit when um, he's confronted by the Hess sons again and he picks up a stapler and he like yeah it, he, he yeah. hits them with yeah. the stapler and it, instead of uttering like a badass line he just goes yeah how about that <laughs> <laughs> it is such a like schoolyard fight kind of moment. Um... I mean, that's kind of just his character, isn't it? It's just he was the, the nerdy kid who was picked on and he's now having to fight someone in the playground. Yes. And and I suppose he's not really... He's not even aware of kind of repercussions if things go too far, like you are as a kid. Good point, yeah. Um, I think as a character, he's definitely... As a character, much like the ice at the end, he's just not solid. Mm. He, everything about him is is either flaky or or, or shaky or oh. easily changed and malleable or broken. Um, he's just not sure about himself because everyone is telling him that he's wrong, but deep down, and of course, like the poster, you know, below. Um, what if they're wrong and you're right? Mm. How can you? How can you even be sure if everyone is telling you this one thing? But you believe another, how how can you believe yourself or how can you believe them? Um and whether or not both can be true. Whether or not people outside can have certain points of view and, and judge you on actions, um, but you deep down um are right about another. Um Exactly. And there is that duality. You have to you have to believe in both. And he 
tricks himself into believing only in the one. Mm. And that one is himself. That's true, yeah. Survival it's of the, the face. It really Survival is. It really is. But I think um, what we've been able to conclude is that Lester Nygaard, above all things, is human. Or is he, Jack? Ooh! That's right, it's time for our brand new segment. It is time for No Saints in the Animal Kingdom. This is the part of the show where we rank the character that we've been talking about within the animal food chain, as it were. Yeah, we've discussed this over the years, um, kind of sort of since we first known each other. Um, God, God, how many years ago is that? Was that four? Four years ago? Five? Let me think. It was at the start of university, and I was there for three years. I think it's been a year and a, a bit, maybe two. Hmm? So it's been over about f- four and a bit years, but yeah. Um, time flies. S- still haven't chucked you. <laughs> <laughs> Force me on his bloody podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it's that weird. Obviously, throughout fiction, there is that kind of um, anthropomorphizing of 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 characters. Um, my favorite book is is Warship Down. Um, mm. and, and everyone listening to this will know of a film or a book or a play or a song or whatever that features uh, main characters that are animals. You've got the Red Wolf, got, you know, Warship Down, you've got loads of animated kids' movies and stuff. That's a Mr. Fox, my favourite movie. But exactly, yes. Um, and also throughout fiction and throughout writing, you know, you have loads of metaphors, loads of the development of language and etymology all have comparisons of things to animals. Um, you know, you have crocodile tears, uh, it's raining cats and dogs, uh, you're, you know, you're the, the, the alpha, you're the lone wolf of the pack, you're the black sheep of the family. And it's such a weird um, th- sort of phenomenon. Well, I suppose not weird, I suppose it's understandable that you'd look to the natural world when you're first developing a language and a culture and a society and a manner of exchanging information. You look at what there is. You know, you, you describe something to do with nature and the world and what you can see and point at. Um, what I'm interested in is people embodying animals, not yes. just looking weaselly, you know, or, or you know, be, someone being the... the the size of an elephant or oh, she's an old cow or you know this or that but someone physically portraying the animalistic nature um uh, of the world the, the kind of hierarchy of, of prey and predator and then that kind of thing um and obviously lord malvo discusses this within the show itself you know we used yes. to be gorillas um the fact that he, the symbolism of Gus and the wolf. Um, and I think we can all always describe, I think what we're trying to do in this show is describe every character as an animal that they perhaps uh, evoke or, or inspired by or, or possessed, that energy they're possessed of almost. Mm. If, if, if Disney was to t- take all the Fargo and animate all the characters as animals... If this was Zootopia, basically. Is this, yes, is this a Zootopia or Zootopia? If this was the bloodiest, uh, the bloodiest parts of Zootopia that you never get to see, <laughs> who would everybody be? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, 
I think we've got different ideas. I, I think there's multiple interpretations we have for Leicester. So I don't think we're going to settle on just one. Um, but what what are your initial ideas on, on Leicester Nygaard? Where does he fit within the social hierarchy, within the animal kingdom? I mean, uh, I want to quickly do a shout out to a theory I stumbled upon. I can't take credit for this one at all. This is from a YouTube channel called Leadhead. Uh, who did a, a great video essay um, about uh, season one of Fargo and the character of Lester, and uh, an old, I believe it's a Japanese legend, uh, ref- talking about um, the koi fish dragon. Mm. And uh, this legend stipulates that um, there's all these different koi fish who are always trying to swim upstream up this mountain, and a lot of koi fish, they can't make it to the top, because, but at the top, there's a dragon. And if any koi fish manages to swim to the top, that dragon will then bestow upon the koi fish the mantle of dragon, and the koi fish becomes a dragon. And mm. so I think that there's um, definite um, parallels you can draw with uh, the idea of Lester being this this little fish with this little orange puffer jacket, literally just swimming with the tide then one day he turns against the tide and in doing so becomes this this predatory beast, this dragon. Mm. Um, and of course, there's a, there's a lot of um, fish symbolism throughout the show, uh, usually, yes. equating, usually equating with death, you notice. You've got the, um, the, the gangsters who were killed by Malvo, they're eaten at the seafood restaurant. You've got um, Lester's poster, of course, um, which gets stained with his wife's blood. Yep. You get the, uh, the the fish tornado scene, which kills um, uh, Stavros's son. And you get the uh, the screensaver of the aquarium on the guy who's um, who ends up uh, freezing to death after escaping from Malvo's trunk. Yeah. And of course, at the end, he's now sleeping with the fishes. Yes, I mean, he literally falls through the ice, and yeah. I suppose in that sense, it's, it's a dragon who ends up with his wings clipped and ends up back in the river as a fish. Yeah, uh, it's interesting uh, with the with his coat being orange and the fish being orange in the poster. Um, a, a good little uh, sort of uh, detail within that show. This show is full of stuff like that. Um, yes. But I, I kind of envision, yeah, with the, going with the fish thing, almost like a, a clownfish. Find yeah, I told. Finding he, Nemo. He is, he's Marlin. <laughs> he's Marlin. Imagine, yeah. Yeah, he's Marlin from Finding Nemo, who just one day, instead of the barracuda eating his wife, he just <laughs> gets a little bit of coral and just <laughs> bludgeons his fish wife to oh, death. Oh, no, I, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't need that image in my head now. Oh, dear. <laughs> I don't know Make if that's more so or less depressing than the actual scene in Finding Nemo, to be fair. Um, but yeah, like, like you know, like the clownfish, you big orange cartoony, uh, you know, marlin, um, and like actual clownfish, he surrounds himself in a protective den, in a sea anemone, this stinging, mm. uh, um, swaying, patient life form that they're immune to, and he does this with Malvo, I think, he, he surrounds uh, Malvo... Um, in his life, uh, with their constant meetings, and then also taking of his persona, he wraps it around, around himself as this sort of protective blanket away from mm. whatever's out there in the in the vast deep ocean. Um, but uh, outside of that, and uh, speaking on my, my own terms here, uh, my mm. own private theory is of... Um, well, I mean, there's a bit where Hess refers to Lester as having a rat face, 
Yeah, and um, th- he, he, there is something rodent-like about his um, acuteness towards self-preservation. You and always his twitchiness. find, and, and his, his twitchiness, twitchiness exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, going back to the uh, the death of Linda as well, uh, I just remember um, when he he sends Linda out to go first to get shot by by Malbo. Uh, it reminded me of a uh, this. Um, this quote, which is, um, it's the early bird that gets the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. And the mm. idea of a mouse who's smart enough to send the first mouse to get the cheese from the trap so that it'll be be caught so that he can then run in and get the cheese in much the same way that Lester then runs in to try and get the plane tickets out of his wife's jacket. Yeah. And so I think for me, Lester is a mouse who one day figures out how to operate a mouse trap. That's what makes and, him so dangerous. Absolutely, and and I suppose if you ascribe to the 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 viewpoint of um, Malvo being this poison within Lester's life, um, mm. you could take that that rat uh, analogy a step further, or in a different direction, I suppose the kind of plague rat of that. You know, they're just oh, going yeah. about they're just going about their life. They're you know they're looking for food. They're you know doing what rats do, I guess. But they're they're this carrier for this death, this evil, yeah. this darkness in in their bodies that they um, seemingly are, are immune to. They're not dying from it, but everything that they touch is is infected with it. Mm. Um, That's really good. Or you could go in the complete other direction. Again, go to the cartoon and he is the Jerry to, to, to Malvo's Tom. Very much so. And I mean, you know, I mean, he is Jerry Lenvergaard, so that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Too true. Yes, that's too true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm desperately trying to think if there's a, a Tom connection anywhere, but I don't, I don't think there is. I suppose he's got a similar hair colour to Lon Malvo later on. Does. This, this, this sort of greying silver, silver fox. <laughs> we'll have to, we'll think about it for the, the next episode, which will, ah, exactly. will probably end up being Malvo. Yes. Oh, yes. Definitely. Yeah. Most likely, probably being Malvo. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what, what, what do you think, Jack? Yeah. What, what do you think, Lester? Is to you? I think you can't discuss him without discussing Malvo, and so, so I'm not going to uh, touch too much upon Malvo. That's his. You know, he'll have his own episode. Yeah. Um, but Malvo is definitely quintessentially the 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 wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm. You know, he 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 dresses himself up to be a. Uh, trying to help out anyone he, anyone he meets uh, from a, a particular situation but ends up, you know, causing more chaos and, and getting what he wants out of it, which is usually a, a, uh, his prey. Um, and I think Lester's the exact opposite. I mean, you could say he's, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing later on, especially with Linda and, and all the people, you know. He is this sociopath. He is this, this predator who's perceived himself off as a victim. But I like to think he's the exact opposite. I like to think he's the sheep in wolf's clothing. Mm. Uh, he is this twitchy, nervous, neurotic, innocent, this ego-driven, looking for security within the herd. Um, or It's flock, isn't it, with sheep, I think. Yeah. Um, but he surrounds himself within the, the coating of a wolf, within the, well, within a wolf's coat, I suppose, um, to try and fit in, to try and get one up on everyone else that he is now above everyone else around him on the on the animal kingdom the hierarchy list he's the predators at the top who feed off the bottom um instead of just being the sheep 
that he was throughout his whole life, just following along what everyone thought of him. They told mm. him he was he was pathetic and worthless and he he's gonna go nowhere and for a long time he did. He believed that and he and he took it on his chin and he, he went with it. But I guess he's just a sheep, he's just found another shepherd. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another I suppose another biblical um Absolutely, influence. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if, we'll we'll talk about that more in, in Malvo's episode, which I think is going to be a good one. There's going to be a hell, will, yeah. hell of a lot to discuss with him. Uh, so so look hey. forward to that in in the next couple of weeks. Beans, yeah, um, sweet. Uh, well, uh, any any final thoughts on Lester Nygaard, Jack? On, before on we Lester Nygaard, um, I, th- I think we've we've discussed how long we've we been going for. How long how long has this shit been running? Uh, <laughs> Almost an hour, yeah. So I suppose in conclusion, understanding he, he is the most human, which is a scary thought, um, but a, a comforting thing, I think. There's something we can learn from this. I think him existing within media, we can almost save ourselves. Again, perhaps another biblical uh, uh, reference, having these, these passages, these stories, these chapters... Of, of all these characters and their people's lives, and we we take something from that, uh, mm. a lesson but, or an understanding. Absolutely, it's it's lives. a moral tale, isn't it? Yeah. Oh God, yeah. It's an Aesop's fable. It's absolutely again another animal story of of um, conflicting ideologies of creatures. Um. So yeah, in conclusion, I have sympathy. Well, or empathy. I have an understand. <clears throat> I have pity, as you said. Pity yes. for this character. I'd like to think that without these toxic influences, he would have been a nice, a nice guy. Um, but ultimately, like a Greek tragedy, it just had to be. A thoroughly enjoyable character, well written, exquisitely acted. Mm. Such a treat to to exist in a, in in this time, so that I could watch this character. What what a great show! Yeah, it's kind of good this show, isn't it? Yeah, it's, maybe, it's maybe. all right. Yeah. We, we, I think we, we, I think start, we could. We should start, start a podcast. podcast. We should start a podcast. Yeah, all right, yeah. all right. <laughs> Let's get a recording, man. Okay. <laughs> okay, right. So, with, or, or, uh, what, put, are, what are your conclusions? Um, say a little prayer for Lester Nygaard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say, um, and um, Brown. Yeah, I, I guess what one final thought is just um, I remember when Fargo came out and um around the same time i heard that um martin freeman was going to be playing richard the third uh, on theater and um thinking i don't see that working at all because obviously i'd only known martin freeman from all these very nice guy performances and then there's this one shot in uh i think it's the penultimate episode where you see lester literally sat upon a throne talking yeah. to all of his business colleagues and i was like i get it now i under i totally see how he could play uh richard the third now yep the 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 sympathetic seemingly sympathetic downtrodden character who accepts the identity of the villain mm. uh, and that dual antagonist protagonist uh, again right. well uh, i think that is gonna us to a close so thank you very much for joining us for our first official episode uh, we hope yeah. you've enjoyed it yes thank you guys um 
thank you so much for everyone who's liked the pages or, or followed us online. Um, we've over over a hundred uh, likes on on Facebook, which is absolutely thank goodness it, it, insane. And and looking at um, obviously this podcast is on RSS, it is on Spotify, mm. it's on Podbean, uh, and on YouTube. And I think uh, overall we've got over a hundred listens across those four it's amazing platform, which is just blown my expectations out, out out of the out of the water this truly is uh such a nice thing uh to 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 look at um to know that people enjoy listening to our inane and insane ramblings about a tv show that not many people have watched <laughs> and uh, i'm i'm hoping that this might encourage uh, more people to to give the show a watch Oh god, yeah. If you've listened to this and haven't watched the show, what the hell have you done? <laughs> None of this is gonna make sense. I mean, thanks for listening. I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna you know, I'm not gonna not say thanks, but I'm gonna judge. Uh, <laughs> you've just had us on in the background as just like white noise and be like, I, I like the way that they're I like the noises they've been making. The noises but I don't understand making. any of it. That's the greatest compliment I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> I you like do. the noises he's making. <laughs> Okay, Christ. well, um, tune in next time when we're going to um, take a little look at um, Lorne Malvo. Yes, exciting times. The uh, the snake in the garden. Mm -hmm. So um, until then, uh, I guess we want to quickly have a shout out to George Matthew for doing our incredible theme tune. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Um, we've posted on our Facebook page all the links that you can... Uh, go and find uh, all of his other music stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as being on Facebook, we're also on Twitter. So you can uh, follow us there as well at uh, Very Friendly People. Uh, and another uh, massive thank you for the wonderful uh, artwork that we've got that, that I feel really um, evokes the, the, the artwork for, for all seasons of the show. Uh, it just by, looks so pretty. Uh, yeah, by by uh, by Dan Reese. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram uh, uh, at .illustrator. Um Again, the links to that are on Facebook and Twitter, uh, which you can find at Very Friendly People. Just search that on uh, Facebook, Twitter, on YouTube, on RSS, on Spotify, on Podbean. Um, you will probably know about one of those if you're listening to this. Otherwise. How would you have found this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, and that concludes our very first proper official, definitely first time that we've recorded this, episode of the show. So thank you so much for listening. Take care. Uh, wrap up warm, it's cold out, and we will talk to you next time. Yes, see you later. Betcha. You betcha. <laughs>